Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. You guys survived the rain. Awesome job. Either brought your canoe or your umbrella. Great job. Way to do that. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I'm the executive minister here at the church, uh, and it's my privilege to bring the word for the next two weeks. So uh, buckle in. I've had a lot of coffee this morning. Uh, that's your warning. Uh, be ready. Uh, now, I, I want to start out by, by asking this question. How many of you remember in school the, the question of what are you going to be when you grow up? Anybody ever remember writing a, a paper or a, a paragraph? I remember doing that early on in elementary school. It was probably second grade when I first had to write a paragraph about what I wanted to be when I grew up. Now, what I wanted to be in second grade was in the NBA. Those of you at home can't see, I'm not real big. Uh, and so that was kind of a long shot. See what I did there? It's pretty good. It's my dad joke for the morning. I like it. So uh, I realized after I wrote that paragraph that that was probably not going to happen. So when the paper came up again, I was like, I'm going to have to write about something different. So end of elementary school happens, sixth grade for me at that time. And uh, we had this assignment again. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, I don't really want to be laughed at again about being in the NBA. Major League Baseball is probably a swing and a miss. on a roll. Ooh. I love the sound effects coming from our congregation today. You guys at home, you're missing the sound effects. Maybe you're making your own. But uh, it was a swing and a miss. And so I was like, oh, what do I want to be? Well, I'm really, really into Legos. So architect. I'm going to be an architect because that's basically the same thing. You play with giant Legos. I was like, build houses, buildings. That'd be awesome, right? So I wrote a whole paper about being an architect. Again, that that wasn't going to work out. And so then as, as you get older, though, the question becomes a little bit more real. And so I get to my sophomore year of high school, and I'm like, oh, I have to write this paper again? Like, this is terrible. Uh, I already said I wanted to be in the NBA and an architect. Like, let's just live in that dream. No. And so we had to write this paper again, and I was like, oh, let's see here. I'd felt God tugging on my heart to be in some sort of ministry capacity, but I was kind of ignoring that with this paper, and I was like, you know what? I really want to be a mechanic. Uh, I was like, I feel like you can make good money doing that. I, was, I had a shop class in high school. I was really good at it. Not so good anymore, but I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun for me, and so I wrote a whole paper about wanting to be a mechanic. You see, I end up working here uh, because God has different plans than we have different dreams. You guys know that? It's really important to, to know and understand that. And so today, as, as we talk about this, this idea, answering this question of what is my calling, what am I made to do, I want us to be looking first at this definition that Gordon Smith writes in his book. Gordon Smith uh, writes uh, this book called Courage and Calling, and he talks about this idea of this question that we tend to ask ourselves, not just as children growing up, but even as adults stepping into different seasons of life, different maturity of what am I 
called to do. He has this to say about calling in his book, Courage and Calling. He says, our calling is not an occupation or our line of work, but our calling speaks of our engagement with the world in response to God's engagement with us. So can our calling be our occupation? Absolutely. Is our occupation where our calling stops? Absolutely not. So when we speak of calling today, answering that question of what am I called to do, I want us to be reminded that we are not talking about our occupation, our nine to five, our line of work, but we are talking about how God has uniquely gifted each of us to engage in the world around us as we experience God's continual work in us. You ready? Second Corinthians is where we're going to set up camp for the morning. Second Corinthians chapter five. I love second Corinthians. This, this second letter that we have of, of Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. If, if you're down and out, read this letter. If you are looking for some encouragement, read this letter. If you're looking for this idea of calling and who we are made to be, read this letter. It's just fantastic. Paul writes second Corinthians chapter five. Verses 14 through 21, Paul says this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's our big idea. Here's where we're going this morning. God's calling for our lives is to be an expression of hope, a reflection of change, and an extension of Christ. God's calling on our lives as, as continual Christ followers. We say continual because we're not there yet. We've not arrived as being perfect as a Christ follower. Our continual process of continuing to chase after Jesus God's calling for our lives as Christ followers is to be expressions of hope, reflections of change, and extensions of 
Christ. This text today gives us the specifics and tools about how to embrace this God-given calling for our lives. And then Paul underlines three exchanges that every Christ follower must make in order to step into this calling. Now, for our Bible study nerds out there, like if your Bible is like mine, it looks like a workbook. Uh, you got notes written in it, highlight. Maybe you got a special highlighter for the Bible where it doesn't bleed through as much. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you guys. This passage right here has 12 references in eight verses, 12 references to Jesus, either by name or by pronoun. Jesus is referenced 12 times here which indicates to us that Jesus is the foundation of our calling. You can't walk through any verse here and not see Jesus' name. Jesus is the foundation of our calling. The first place that Paul starts, verses 14 through 16, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. See, this is where God calls us from death to life. Some of us, I say us because I'm included in this. Some of us couldn't get past word six in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. I don't like to be controlled. Uh, please don't. Like the love of Christ controls us. But let me, let me dispel any sort of problem we have with that word controls because the Greek can be translated in several different ways here. This word controls means to cover or to crowd around or to guide. So if we read it in that respect, we read, for the love of Christ crowds around us. The love of Christ covers us. The love of Christ guides us. This is the action of Jesus. It's what he came to do. Then Paul dives into the death and life conversation where he speaks directly about Jesus and his death for all. That word all, really important here in Paul's letter. See, because Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthian church knows that Jesus did not just die for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles as well. This is not an exclusive death. It's an inclusive death. Paul is very clear that Jesus' death for all gives the opportunity of life for all, but not the same old life that we have been living but a life that moves beyond ourselves to live for a greater purpose. He then goes into his own transformation of death to life. Read about in Acts chapter 9. He goes into his own transformation of death to life where his mindset shifted from knowing and experiencing others, even Jesus, just according to the flesh. And he says, now, now I know others and Christ according to the Spirit. You see, Paul's mindset, mindset shifted here. He starts to see the same Jesus in everybody. He he starts to see the same image bearer in everybody. The first exchange in this text that Paul talks about is the exchange of death for life. The word used for death in this passage means to cease to have vital functions. Paul speaks directly of Jesus' death and associated with his death is our death. 
Jesus' death was a substitute of his pure and sinless life for our corrupted and sinful lives. Jesus, this is really important. Jesus did not die on behalf of us. He died instead of us. This this death and the sacrificial lamb was necessary so that we would have the opportunity to live in harmony with God. So, So that our sin and our past would no longer separate us from God. So that we could be seen as pure and blameless, not because of us, but because of Jesus. In verse 15, Paul explains why this life that is born out of Christ's death is so important He says, so that we might live, no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Paul shifts the insights here from a sinful death to a greater purpose of life. From the outcast to the one that's invited in. From from the lost cause to the found child. It's important to note that we are not the subject of this verse. Jesus is. Jesus does not die for us because we are worthy, but because he loves us. Our our, our worth is not defined by what we do, but only by what Jesus has done for us. You see, the life that we get to experience because of Christ's death is where our hope is founded. It, It doesn't take long to see in our world that we are experiencing a major hope deficit. Hope hope is difficult to see on the news. Hope is difficult to read about in the paper. Hope is difficult to see while we're scrolling. Hope is difficult to see in the midst of violence and racism and political division. And sometimes, church, hope is really difficult to see in the mirror. It doesn't take long, nor does it take a deep thought to see the absence of eternal hope in our world. That's why one of the most important callings that God has given us as Christ followers is to be an expression of eternal hope that is only found in Jesus. So that the world can see the victory of Jesus' death that brings true life. So I asked myself the question while studying this week, what stifles our hope? What holds hope back or makes it invisible? Here's, Here's what I came to a conclusion about. This is what I think stifles hope. It's when we think that the sin we see in the world or the sin that we see in the mirror is more important and overpowering the Savior we see on the cross. Church, our sin will never overpower our Savior. And we are called to be an expression of this hope because of the hope we've experienced through Christ. This is not hope that needs to simply be talked about. This is hope that needs to be shouted about through our lives. Amen? And that's just the first three verses. We're barely into this thing. Let's keep going. Verse 17. If you've ever been in church before, this verse might be familiar to you. If not, if you're new, this is a very foundational verse that Paul writes here in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is where God calls us away from our old self and to our new self. 
You see, the key to this verse is found in the words, in Christ. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is where? In Christ. You see, the the location of our hearts needs to be founded and grounded in Christ in order to experience this new creation. Being in Christ means that a personal relationship is being sought after by us now. It's not just a a one-way street. See, we know that Jesus is seeking after us because of his death on the cross for us. But when we experience this being in Christ, it means that we are seeking after Jesus now. It means that our love for Christ is growing and changing and transforming who we are day in and day out. It's a change and transformation from the inside out as we allow our lives to take up residence only with Jesus, making sure that nothing else becomes a substitute savior in our hearts. The the second exchange in this text is the old life for the new life. Imagine with me for a moment that old life. If you need to close your eyes, do that, that's fine. Imagine that old life, those past sins, the, the past mistakes, the past that we would like to forget. Imagine that that is gone. The burden, the heaviness, the weight of our past, gone. And the new life that Christ has waiting for us is where sins and mistakes are still happening, but we do not simply fall when we struggle. We fall into the arms of a Savior. Now, before the new life and new creation can take place, there is a surrendering of the old life that needs to take place first. And, and this is super easy to talk about in church, right? Surrender, oh, it's super easy to talk about in church. We sing the song, I surrender all. But really, we should be like, I surrender some. Like, you know, it's just, because surrender is really easy to talk about in this environment. When we are surrounded with like-minded Christians who are all doing their best sinfully, but still doing their best to aim towards Jesus in a place where we can be encouraged and loved on and cared for. This is an easy place to talk about surrender. But it can be difficult to step away from because we like what is familiar and the old life is familiar. We, we know the terrain and the routine of the old life. We, we, we generally know where the pitfalls are in the old life even though we keep jumping into them for some reason. And we're comfortable with the old because this is where all of our habits were formed. It just, it fits like an old coat or an old shirt. It's just like, man, this is just the best. It's the first one out of the dryer, you put it on. It's like, this is the best. It fits, it feels comfortable, it feels good. But change of any kind, surrender of any kind is extremely difficult. Change is never easy. It's always difficult. A few weeks ago, our family went on vacation. Uh, we were down at the beach in North Carolina. It was, it was great. We got to see some friends and we got to see some family and it was just a wonderful time. But right before that vacation, I made a huge life-altering change. I changed my allergy medication. Um, and I don't know if you've ever done that before, uh, that's a bad deal. Um, that's just, that's not okay. 
and so I, I changed it back to what I used to take. And my wife, in her infinite wisdom, packed the old stuff in a bag, which was great. Complain about the bags that we bring, but she packed it and it was wonderful. But about three days into vacation, I'm taking this new allergy medication. It looks like somebody rubbed a cat on my face. It's like, how was the beach? It was awesome. It was great. It was the best thing ever. We were going to see friends. I need to take a COVID test because I'm like, am I sick? Like, what's going on? I was fine. Wasn't going to bring sickness to someone's house. But it was just, it was terrible because change of any kind is difficult. Change of any kind is difficult because we like our routine. We like what feels good. But what Paul is talking about here is, is not change of something superficial, but a change that is extremely difficult and deep. It's a change where we surrender. But here's the thing. When, when change is grounded in Christ, when, when surrender is, is grounded in Christ, we know for certain that it's the right change and right place to lay things down. See, the new self is brought about by life change that only happens in the context of a heart that has fully encountered Christ and continually commits to transformation in Christ. It's, it's a continual and constant renewal process. It's, it's constant transformation. It's constant change. And here's the deal. The new self cannot be lived out with old tendencies and old habits. The, the new self thrives when change and growth is continual and we have a heart, mind, body, and soul that is reaching for and grasping for Jesus. When I was in high school, I got the opportunity to rappel off a mountain. Have you ever done this ridiculous event where they tie you to a rope and they tell you, just walk backwards off the mountain? I'm like, that's natural. Uh, why do I have to wear this helmet? Oh, just in case. Just in case of what? <laughs> like, are you telling me this little piece of plastic is going to make my brain okay? Whatever is up there. But I was repelling, right? And I, you know, it, like the first step is the scariest. And then you get down, and it's like, this is kind of fun. I get done with the experience. I get down to the bottom, they're like, all right, Justin, you unhook your carabiner and take your harness off. I'm like, okay, why are my hands shaped like this? Uh, and they're like, oh, you're probably holding onto the rope too hard. I was like, is that possible? Like, I didn't know that that was possible. But I was, I was holding onto the rope so tightly that my fingers were almost conformed to this pattern of life here, where it was just like, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to function ever again. That's what it means to be in this new life with Jesus, to be holding on so tightly as if he's the only way to keep from falling. To hold on to Jesus with everything we have. You see, when we experience this, this change in Christ from the old to the new, we become called to be a reflection of that change to the world around us. They should notice that we are holding on to Jesus now. That we're not holding on to anything else, but we are holding on to Jesus. That we become a reflection of that change to the world around us, to the people we live with, to our roommates, to the coworkers we have. We should be a reflection of change to the neighbors we live by, to the people who are easy to love, and to the people like me who require extra grace. You see, the experience of change and transformation in our lives should be reflected out to the world around us. And it should be the message that our life carries. We are called to be a reflection of change that Christ has done in our lives, holding on to Jesus with everything we have. But Paul doesn't end there. 
verse 18. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is where God calls us from our wandering towards his greater purpose. See, Paul makes it very clear that God is the initiator of reconciliation and that we have nothing to do with it at all except to receive. Reconciliation is a word that Paul uses that essentially means the exchange of hostility for friendship. You see, Paul is clear that this is from God through Christ for us and because of the work that Jesus does for us, we inherit this gift and ministry of reconciliation. Now, I know what you're thinking. Justin, we don't all work at the church. I know you don't get exempt from this though. Let me tell you what ministry actually means. Ministry. Ministry means to serve one another. That's it. You don't have to be on staff here or FCA or, or crew or salt and light. You don't have to be on staff at one of these ministry spots. Ministry is how we serve one another. In Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, God no longer is counting the trespasses of our lives, but is, is gifting us and, and entrusting us with this message of changing hostility for friendship. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's, it's important to note that God is not reconciled to us as if we are the point of reference and God was the transgressor. No, no, no. We are reconciled to God because of his love for us. To be reconciled to God is to have the barrier of sin removed, which separates us from a holy and righteous God. Paul then goes on to give us name tags. He calls us ambassadors. Again, not due to the work that we've done, but the work done on the cross for us. And as an ambassador of God and Christ, we become an extension of Christ to the world around us. You see, we are not created to simply live life, to live in the moment, to get up and go to work and come back home, run the kids to soccer practice, run through McDonald's, occasionally come to church. We'll talk about that at a different time. Occasionally serve. Again, we'll talk about that at a different time too. No, that's not what we are created to do. We are created to be active ambassadors everywhere we go, to bring Christ everywhere we go and represent Christ everywhere we go. Why? Because as Paul says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't it interesting that the righteousness that God requires 
is the same righteousness that God provides. Why does God do this? Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me and all of our mess. He loves us and still has a plan for us. The third exchange that happens in this text is the exchange of our own wandering for God's own purpose. This is the exchange of simply living life to now living life on purpose as ambassadors. Paul said this at the beginning of our text today in verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Jesus who for their sake died and was raised. You see, once our death turns to life and our old self turns to new, our purpose becomes different. We're no longer wandering around, wondering about who has God made me to be, wondering what the calling is for my life. But we are given this calling to live lives on purpose, to be expressions of hope, to be reflections of change, to be extensions of Christ. You see, Paul's words here in this text surround us with God's calling for our lives, but it also surrounds us with a simple gospel message. Did you see it? Christ's love for his people, Christ's death for his people, our shared experience in that death. And then because of Christ's death, we experience new life. You see, God calls us to carry this gospel message everywhere we go as expressions of hope. If we have truly experienced the exchange of death for life, then we have a hope that our life carries that our world desperately needs to hear about. God calls us to carry the gospel message in our everyday lives, not just our church day lives, our everyday lives, as reflections of change. If we have encountered Christ in such a way that our life turns completely around from the old self-centered sinfulness to the new creation that we are, we should be reflecting that change to the world. God calls us to carry the gospel message with us as extensions of Christ. If we have witnessed the change in our lives as from, from distant sinners to reconciled children, from, from our wandering to God's greater purpose, if we've experienced that, then we are to be extensions of that change. We are to be extensions of Christ, carrying his love and grace and truth with us everywhere we go. Now, if we step back to where we started this morning, we'll end up back at Gordon Smith's definition in his book, Courage and Calling. He says, our calling is not an occupation or our line of work, but our calling speaks of our engagement with the world in response to God's engagement with us. Church, the question is no longer, what am I called to do? The question becomes, am I willing to follow? Am I willing to follow after Jesus? Am I willing to follow where God leads me? There's two critical components to being a follower. I think they're pretty simple to talk about difficult to live, 
The first component to being a follower is we have to listen. We, we can't follow God if we are not listening to God. When I, when I think of someone who listens to God well, I think of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Where, where Martha sees Jesus coming into town and she invites him into her home and, and she busies herself. She, she's busying herself over here with the duties of, of the house, getting everything prepared, everything ready, the table set, the floors are swept. And where's Mary? What in the world? Where is my sister? And Luke chapter 10 verse 39 tells us she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. How often do we sit at the Lord's feet and listen? How often do we sit at the Lord's feet? I, I would venture to guess that we often ask the Lord to sit at ours. As our prayer time is only active when our life seems to be turned upside down as our interaction with scripture is limited and brief, as our serving one another is based on our, uh, based on, on our convenience rather than our calling, is it convenient for me to serve at this time? How often do we sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching? How often do we sit in our time of scripture and allow the scripture to read us, not simply us read it? How often does our prayer life act more as like a conversation with us and God? Where we pray, we lay our requests at his feet, and then we spend time listening. Dallas Willard writes in his book, Hearing God. If you're also looking for another good book, that one's fantastic. Dallas Willard writes, your aim must be only to nourish your soul on God's word to you. So as we talk about listening, I want to ask, are we listening long enough to be nourished? First critical component of being a follower is to be a good listener. The second one is to move, to go to leave and do something about it. You see, being a good follower is not just sitting there listening and waiting, listening and waiting. Now, there is time for that. We are to be listeners first, but we are also meant to be movers and goers. We're we're not meant to sit idly by. Ambassadors don't sit on the bench. Uh, The word ambassador means a representative that travels and works for the one they are representing. We're not meant to just sit down and wait for every problem in the world to come to us. We are meant to go and serve and be everywhere we are. Matthew 28, you knew I was going there. You saw my notes, I'm sure. Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus tells the disciples He says, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus doesn't say, hang on, just wait there for a second. No, he says to go. You've listened. You've sat in his word. You've sat in prayer. You've listened. Now it's time to leave and to go and to do. 
We often praise the early church. This wasn't in first service. This is extra. We often praise the early church in Acts 2, right, where it's like, oh, they multiplied, and, you know, the Lord added their number daily. They were told to go, and they stayed until chapter 8. They stayed until they were forced out. Jesus doesn't say, sit idly by and make disciples. No, he says, go. It's not our job to sit down and wait all day long. It's our job to go. It's our calling to go as ambassadors of Christ, to be reconciling the world, to be exchanging hostility for friendship. We are called to listen. We are called to go. The question is, is are we willing to follow? The opportunity is there. The calling is there. The question is, will we be there? Let's pray.